Welcome to the Classical Currents Podcast. I'm Charles Noble. Today I'm talking with the members of the fantastic and exciting new violin duo called Fifth Mirror. Those two violinists are Portland natives Hannah Tate and Lucia Atkinson. Between the two of them, they play with just about every premier orchestral ensemble in the Portland area, including the Oregon Ballet Theater Orchestra, the Portland Opera Orchestra, and the Oregon Symphony. They're also fantastic chamber musicians, and that love of playing in smaller ensembles, along with their curiosity and passion for finding hidden gems of the violin duo repertoire, led them to found the new ensemble Fifth Mirror together. Fifth Mirror makes their debut in a virtual concert produced by Great Arts Period, which will air on Friday, September 17th at 7.30 p.m. on their YouTube channel. You can find the link and more information at classicalcurrents.com forward slash show notes. I began the interview by asking the duo about how they came to be in Portland and what they were doing musically just before the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown abruptly shut down the arts in Portland and across the U.S. Tell me about yourselves, maybe individually first. Are you natives of the Portland area? Or if not, how did you come to Portland and what were you up to musically before the pandemic descended upon us? So yes, I am. I grew up in Portland, um, so I have strong roots here. Um, I went away for school, obviously, as most of us do, um, and then moved back in about 2016 after I finished my doctorate. Um, and I played a couple seasons with Tucson Symphony, and then decided to come back up here where my family was. Um, and since then, play with you know. All, all the everybody, so Portland Opera and subbing with OSO and teaching all over the place. Um, and right before the pandemic, interestingly enough, I broke two of my fingers on my left hand. So I really was not doing much playing at all right before the pandemic. That was in November, 2019, I fell and I, I broke my middle and ring finger on my left hand. Yay. That was a bad season because I broke my collarbone at the very end of July right. in 2019. So I had the shortest season Ow. ever. I I went I yeah. didn't start the season until sometime in December, I think, early December. And then March 13th oh it was over. So Yeah. Yeah, so the the funny part is I went through all the, you know, uh, physical therapy and rehab for my hands and all of that stuff. And I think I played, I played Harry Potter with OSO and that was it. I played like one, maybe two shows and then there was a pandemic and then I kind of put my violin away for a, a long time. <laughs> so yeah, so I wasn't really doing too much um, right before the pandemic and then um, really started to start playing again because of Fifth Mirror because we kind of wanted to play together and get our feet wet again after a really weird year. So yeah, so that's where I was. <laughs> okay, Lucia, how about you? Well, I'm also originally from Portland and also moved away for a really long time. I went to Houston and then New York and then um, Portland has changed so much since when I grew up. I don't, are you, you're not from here, are you Charles? No, I'm, I'm from just up north. I grew up in Puyallup, Washington. So I'm a Northwesterner, but but not a Portlandian. It was so different. And um, I 
started every time I came back home um, to visit, I was like seeing this totally different city building up and, and I just decided after grad school to move back. But what was I doing before? I mean, it was, that was just insane because I think the pandemic happened in the middle of like everything. I mean, we were playing OSL that week. We were playing, oh no, um, that, that very week we were playing, Hannah, were you doing this? The, um, oh my gosh, it was some like pickup orchestra. Um, and we literally canceled right before that first, um, the dress rehearsal. What was that orchestra? I don't know. But I remember, I remember I had to like, I had to figure out how to get the music back to where it needed to go. Like it was a whole complicated, like I'm trapped in my house. How do I get this music back to set? Like, this is really weird. Yes. So yeah, we were both hired for that and it got canceled like right before the first rehearsal or something or the dress. I don't remember. Yeah. So it was like, we were doing 800 things at once um as freelancers do and then uh, and especially in that time period yeah because I think Harry Potter was right before that and um I can't remember his offer or something else um was happening at the same time um but I was so excited because I had a trip to Hawaii planned um for right after that because it was just like you know 100 miles an hour um constant work and then I had four days and I was supposed to be in Hawaii and um not only did that get canceled but I was supposed to go back because um, I had a ticket credit and I had to go back and I have um, Nellie's there. So I was going to go stay with Nellie uh, for five days. And I got to the airport and I had a sore throat and I had to cancel my, <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, I, yeah, that's where I was before the pandemic happened. And then, yeah. We were... So it became the world's worst vacation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and longest. Least exciting. Um, yeah, so I was, I was playing throughout the pandemic for like various random, super random gigs, but not the, it's such a difference when you're not, you have nothing to really practice for. It's like, you know, you're going to go sight read somewhere. Um, it's been, fifth year has been like hardcore getting us back in shape, I think, <laughs> mentally and physically. Yeah, it's been it's been crazy for everyone and I think I don't know. There there was kind of a you know, sort of a seven stages of grief type thing going on where you're like, "Oh, this won't last very long." And, "Oh, please, what can I do to make, you know?" And then you're just like, "Okay, this is going to last for a long time." And, you know, cuz we were all feeling at the beginning like, "Okay, one more week." And this will go away or they'll get it figured out or some, you know, something will happen and miraculously everything. And and then by week eight, you're just like, no, this is, this is really happening now. Yeah. I think it was just denial. It was just like a really long period of denial and um, just like hoping somehow hoping that life couldn't actually just end. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And no, none of us have ever been through anything like this before, you know, unless you were a, a alive and and old enough to remember 1918 nobody's lived through <laughs> nobody's lived through this and probably whoever was is still around from then would probably be like ah whatever um, i hope that they survived covid they were I, like, I really <laughs> the, truly right that they are most deserving to live through two pandemics like that okay so how did you guys 
Hannah, you alluded to this a little bit about how the group got started. So how did Fifth Mirror get started? Um, so obviously you guys seem to get along quite well and you've known each other for quite a while and, and seem to be friends. So is that an important part of the, and you can answer this in any order, but so how did you come together to form this group and how is that related to how you guys get along? We were, I'm going to play this. We really wanted to play Procopio duo and, um, we had, I'd actually bought the music back in grad school. I really, really wanted to play this piece and we were talking about it and both of us were not doing much like practice. Um, and uh, we wanted to do it last summer um, and it was for a show that didn't end up happening. So we, um, this year we we're just like, we're gonna do it and we'll, we'll put together a concert. And um, yeah, sorry, hit it, go ahead. <laughs> I no, I mean, I. That's exactly what happened. I think um, the nice thing about this ensemble, it's barely an ensemble, it's just two of us, um, but <laughs> um, is that we were friends first. Well, really we were like colleagues first in Astoria. That's where that's where this started deep down. Um, and then we became really good friends as we sat together in various orchestras around town and played gigs together and drove together all over the place. Um, and so I think that's really, part of the fun part of fifth mirror is that we are good friends i mean lucia came to my wedding and like we are we are actual legit friends um and then i think that makes the music making all that more fun because we're we're doing something like lucia said we both really wanted to play the prokofiev we have a really similar um taste in repertoire and so we're playing music that's really exciting to both of us and getting to work with a good friend and yeah so that's kind of we started as friends well, colleagues and then friends and now colleague friends. And yeah, it's just been fun. It's been a really fun couple months. <laughs> yeah, and it's also just like a really unique type of, I don't know how much duo playing. Charles, have you done a lot of duo playing? No, not much, just a little bit. It's really different. It's like, because you're both, in a way you're both soloists, but you also have only one other person to both match and bounce off of. So it's like, it's so, obviously it's so much more exposed. It's so much more physically demanding because there's no, there's no break. And all of the interest is basically, you never have like one person just like stop playing and the other person, you know, does something for a while. Um, so it's, it's just a really, I've never done anything like it. Um, and I think it's good that we're doing it as two people who like and trust each other because it's so difficult and different that I think it would be hard, you know, like in a quartet setting, we're all really used to how that works. And we're used to, we're used to have tuning works. We're used to how, I mean, it's always a really difficult dynamic there. It's very different. And I totally get why all of those groups are traveling separately and <laughs> they get fed up with each other and all that. I totally, you know, that's part of the nature of just having such a close intense um tiny group um with no clear leader but it's i think having two of us has been um like really really exciting because it's you know to come out of the pandemic we haven't been um really playing we this is the first time we really get to rehearse something that is you know playing with anybody else and to have it be um so soloistic and so um 
like those synchronized swimmers that you see at the Olympics when it's just two of them. Um, <laughs> uh, there's just there's just so little room for error, but also room for doing what you want and getting um, your own voice in there. It's been really fun. So I have a question. You guys both grew up in Portland. Did you study with the same teacher in Portland? No, and we didn't actually even know each other growing up in Portland, which is super crazy to me. Um, Cause I always kind of felt like, <laughs> I mean, we all think that we're in a um, very small world. The musical world is so small, but yeah, we, we only met um, at Astoria as adults. Okay. So fifth mirror, how did the name come about? And I have, I have some free associations that I'll share with you after you tell me. Oh, Great name. Are- first of all. She's very disappointed when we told her. So I hope that you, I hope this doesn't ruin your um, images. But it was just that, I mean, we kind of, we wanted something that sort of said what we are. And um, so obviously the violins are tuned in fifths and we're mirroring each other. We're exact, um, we're exactly the same, which is a unique thing about our ensemble. That's the other thing about why quartets are in a way a little bit, well, the challenge is just different, but Anyway, yeah, so uh, that is the name. I think it's fantastic because most duos, they just go, oh, the la- both last names, and they're, they're the something hyphen something duo. And you're like, well, okay, that, yeah, whatever. But this this is kind of cool because it makes you kind of want to find out what's up with this fifth mirror. You know, it's intriguing. Wait, so what did you think it was? What were your... Well, okay, you know, I was just thinking... You know, I mean, the things that pop into my mind is, first of all, are groups that have numbers in their names. So like Third Angle, yeah, 45th Parallel, and then one of my favorite TV shows, Black Mirror. And, you know, so I'm like, this is like some kind of post-apocalyptic, somewhat new music, but very eclectic kind of ensemble. So that was just kind of what went through my head. The black mirror was in my head when, um, yeah, because that was definitely <laughs> in the middle of the pandemic and um, I wanted something mirror, but yeah. The, yeah, the third, everything in Portland that is not symphony now is like <laughs> some number. It's numbers, <laughs> numbers. Well, I, I congratulate on that, on, on the name because I, I think it's actually a really good name and I, and I think it makes people's ears perk up. They're like, oh, what is this? Oh, violin duo. Very cool. So excellent. I mean, I feel like, you know, coming up with a name for an ensemble is almost as much work as just producing your first concert. It really, it super is. I have to give mad props to Lucia because I am terrible at naming things, terrible at naming pets. It's, it's, it's a disaster in my life. Um, So every time it comes to the like, oh no, I need to like name this concert or name this new ensemble. I'm like, oh no. Oh boy. So Lucia was amazing, but we did kind of go back and forth. We have text chains that are like hundreds of messages long of just like putting weird stuff together and trying to find what both described us and what, like you said, sounded interesting and not just like the Tate Atkinson duo or the duo Prokofiev, like cool, put a composer's name or whatever in there. Um, So yeah, I think it was, it was a good process and I'm glad Lucia was, was with me because you don't want to know what it would have been called if it was just me. <laughs> well, now we need to know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, my best suggestion was deb- double treble, but that had already been Which taken. Pretty it's pretty good, yeah. but someone already took it because it's 
it's also pretty on the nose. <laughs> right. I want to, I'm curious to know what your worst pet name idea ever was. So we're musicians. So maybe it's not as bad as my non-musician friends think, but I named my tortie um, Scheherazade. Aww. And But we don't call her Scheherazade because it's a very long name. So we just call her Z. But trying to explain <laughs> that to the vet, they were like, how do you spell that? And I was like, just just put Z. It's fine. <laughs> but that's such a good name that for is, a cat. That is such I mean, a good name. See, see, musicians kind of get it. My husband was like, you named her what? And I was like, <laughs> it's fine. You don't get it. You don't understand. <laughs> Love it. But you've got this concert coming up on September 17th that Great Arts Period is producing. And I was looking at the program and you've got music that just kind of runs the gamut. There's some one name I had never seen before, um, the Maddalena Laura Lombardini Sirman. And then I listened to your clip on your website and it's just a delightful delightful piece and very well played by the way um tell me a little so tell me about the program just in maybe in general terms first and then talk about how that kind of aligns with what you guys wanted to do as a group well so um the name is uh, Show Off Through the Ages um, because but anything through the ages is ridiculous. But, um, but <laughs> the show off concept, what we're, the, the interesting thing about um, violin dos is that they are so, the violin is the instrument that everybody, violin, piano are the two instruments people just, like you aren't writing for that instrument if you aren't writing the hardest possible um, things. And then when you put two of them together, it's almost like uh, how much harder can we possibly make this? Um, and so, so many of these pieces really are, they're either by violin virtuosos um, and or they are just written to highlight virtuosity. So what was interesting to us about doing this, you know, very long time span of violin duos is it really highlights um, how virtuosity has changed. And also what was interesting to me about this was how different composers view virtuosity. So Madalena Sermon, this is gonna be our third sermon that we've played. Um, so it's different than the one that you heard. She's a classical composer. Someone described her as being like uh, virtuosity elegantly restrained or something. Um, and her teacher was uh, Tartini. So she has this really Baroque she clearly has a huge um, ability under, or she had a huge ability to play, but she was also um, writing fairly, for the time, fairly even parts. So a lot of the virtuosity is like teamwork virtuosity. It's like, you know, somebody is holding a difficult chord while the other person is, you know, doing ar arpeggiation on top of it. The difficulty is a little bit unseen, but it's this, this very, it's, it's almost, it's like it's hidden and it's um, the two people working together to make it, to make it work is the challenge. Whereas we're playing somebody else from the same sort of time period, uh, Chevalier uh, St. George, where it's entirely, the first violin is, it's just a violin concerto and it's much more, you know, they're tense in there, like really wide intervals, clearly had a really big hand. Um, he's doing like Paganini-esque types you know, things at the same, in the same classical time period. But the other part is like, 
it's so easy to fit together because the other part is not really doing anything. Did your cat just enter? Yes. <laughs> she, she, this is Lily. She crawled up on my lap because, because nobody else is home and she's like desperate for attention. Oh. So. <laughs> um, Sorry about the interruption. I was no, like, um, she was insisting. Now she's just going to curl up on my lap. So this is the way to do a podcast with, with cat on lap. The way to do anything. Um, yeah, so then, the, you know, we go all the way up through, um, through the romantic period and then up through, um, like Prokofiev, where it's this just very, very complex harmonies, really stretching the register. One violin is playing really, really high while the other is playing really low. It's much more even, um, in terms of the two parts. Um, yeah, so it's, it's going to be an, an interesting tour through this through what's happened with the violin and what's going on personally for these composers. And uh, Sermon's one of the earliest female composers that we know about. Well, we can talk about, do we want to talk about how uh, she got started and how she really was like the pioneer? Absolutely. Of... Okay, well, so um, Sermon was, uh, she was born into a, we either think that she was born into a really poor family or um, she was an actual orphan, but she ended up in this orphanage that trained um, girls in music, but that wasn't for career uh, purposes. That was um, the, the only way you actually really left the orphanage was um, to get married. So she, um, she was so good that she started getting lessons with Tartini, who was like the biggest virtuoso of the time. And he actually thought so much of her, he paid for her lessons, which made people uh, question if she was his illegitimate daughter, because why would you invest in some young girl? <laughs> um, she wasn't. But anyway, she did end up leaving uh, the orphanage by getting married. But at the same time, she got something called a maestro license, which um, was basically her introduction into the guild that was entirely male. Her husband was also a violinist. We suspect that he was not a, I mean, he wasn't at the same level, probably, that she was. So they started um, touring together. So she was able to, to do this because she was with her husband. They were touring, playing compositions that they wrote. Um, but at the beginning, their names were on all of these manuscripts. Some of them have later been changed. And it's possible that he had something to do with it. It's pretty unlikely and she continued on to be this actually really famous composer and famous violinist and after he left with a mistress and took their child either they had an arrangement or she was really really adept at uh, keeping her own money because she ended up um, in a situation really unusual for the time where she was paying basically child support um, but she had retained all this money from um from the compositions and from touring. So it's really possible that they actually had an arrangement when she left the orphanage. She was gonna help launch his, his career and she actually, she uh, may have had a thing with a priest. So it's, <laughs> it's very, um, she ended up adopting a child with this priest later on and the priest uh, traveled with her to all of these different places, which was also not unusual at the time. If you were Catholic, you would, you'd take your priest, BYOP. Um, you would bring your priest to, uh, 
wherever you were going, you can get um, mass. And so they, it, who we don't actually know, but um, she basically used, <laughs> she, she had somebody that sort of got her into the world that she probably ordinarily wouldn't have been able to get into. So very, very long way of saying that she is our, she's our grandmother. She was the one who uh, got, let us all ride on her coattails. <laughs> Wow, that's a great story. I feel like, and Joseph Boulogne has a very similar, amazingly colorful and varied and wild life. I hope they make a movie, a biopic of his life. And hers would be amazing. I could totally see it on a, a PBS, uh, you know, Masterpiece Theater miniseries or something like that. Yeah. That could be amazing. She's, she's inc- like, she truly really is an incredible um historical figure and it's such a shame that we I mean we didn't even know about her until so we started with our Prokofiev we we're like we just want to all we want to do is play Prokofiev let's play Prokofiev and then we we're like well we can't just we can't only play Prokofiev that'd be a really weird program um 16 minutes of really difficult violin playing um and then we started to do all this research into music for violin duo and I think what I mean, the reason this program is so diverse and varied is because what we found is there's a wealth of repertoire through literally through the ages that no one is playing. I mean, these duettos, I mean, there's a couple recordings on YouTube. Um, there's no recordings of the the uh, Sonata for Two Violins by St. George that we're playing. There's, I mean, it's just a wealth of beautiful music that desperately needs to be played. And because the violin duo, I think like Lucia was saying earlier, is just such a challenging ensemble to work with. I think it's just not been played. So in our, as we were looking to flesh out our program, we just found all this really cool stuff that we were like, yes, okay, we need to play that. And we're going to play this. And Sermon was definitely our like figurehead because I mean, the music is so like you heard in that clip and you'll hear, um, as we play through them, uh, the music itself is just delightful. I think that's the best way to describe it. It's so, um, classically restrained, but these just beautiful little motifs and melodies. And then this really amazing balance between the first violin and the second violin part, which are actually really even, um, and just that sense of teamwork and working together. And then what you get with the St. George is that very concerto-like soloist with accompaniment, but you can see the style of his playing and you can hear those, um, just how he, what am I trying to say? Because these are two really great violinists, you can hear how they would have played and you can hear their style and their techniques that they favored and their um, flourishes that they were writing into this music. And you're like, oh, that was her that was her thing or oh that like clearly like Lucia said he had big hands because there's tenths in there and why would there be tenths if you know he's not exploring that as a as a technique um and so I think it's just it's such a wealth of just undiscovered um pieces and it's so exciting to be bringing this music to life in this way and there are also these composers that we wouldn't have that have written so much for two violins for a group that is not played so then you just, they're forgotten. The composers themselves um, are forgotten. Or like Sermon, when she died, she was really famous. And then that was it. Like nobody heard about her for the next several hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the same, I think too, for St. George, because he, 
again, was super famous during his, while he was alive. People knew who he was. He was prolific. And then through history, he just got overshadowed by Mozart and being compared to, oh, the Black Mozart, the other Mozart. And it's like, no, he wasn't the other Mozart. He was a completely unique person who Mozart stole ideas from. Like there's a, there's, um, a comparison between St. George's, I think, second violin concerto and supposedly Mozart heard him play it. And then he went, and if you listen to one of the other Mozart violin concertos, there's a lick where it's like, you stole that from, like, so no, St. George is not the other Mozart. He was an incredible composer, an incredible soloist, a violinist in his own right um, that actually inspired Mozart himself. So it's, yeah, I hope we can kind of reinvigorate these composers who just have incredible repertoire for the violin um, and orchestra too. I mean, I don't know about sermons so much, but St. George did write string quartets and symphonies and all this stuff that well deserves to be played. Yeah, I think his violin concerto has been, been played at some summer festivals this year. Um, it's interesting, you know, history is pretty <clears throat> unjust and it's more unjust to some than others. But I mean, even if you think that without Mendelssohn's digging into the work of Bach, that Bach might be lost to history or or just kind of a footnote, which seems, you know, insane to us now. But that there's all these composers that, that performers like yourselves and others are are digging into and finding and bringing to the light of day again is is so great. I personally have have discovered, you know, you know, whole areas of composers that I never knew anything about, you know, five years ago. And that's been incredible because, you know, after you're in music for a certain period of time, you kind of either you're like, okay, I don't want to do anything new anymore or Every, everything has already been discovered and, you know, I've played Brahms 1 20 times and that's fine. There's so much out there and and kind of experiencing all these new composers for the first time, that composers that are new to me, um, but not new to history, has been pretty incredible and really made me feel like I'm just getting into music again, like I was when, a, when I was a student and everything was kind of new at that point. So that's amazing. It's it's so amazing. It's also amazing because I feel like I have a way different understanding of what music was, like what different time periods have been and where things have come from. Um, and to have some sense of, um, you know, you think about a certain era as being a certain thing. Um, and then you find somebody in an era before that was doing, you know, things that don't fit in that mold and also were things that you associate with later um, later uh, composers and later time periods. Um, and so it, yeah, the world, it, that was actually one thing that was kind of, I feel like with the, without the pandemic, it would have been hard to find the time to sort of do a lot of this. Well, and I think too, just talking about all of this, I think coming from an orchestral background where everything is prescribed like we don't have that much say in what we get to play in this even I mean even if there is really amazing repertoire on a concert you still are not the one that's like hey but there's there's a thing over there that's really cool can we maybe do that but it's it's such a big machine that you don't get to pick so I think what part of the joy Lucia and I have found in Fifth Mirror is 
this sense of discovery of like, oh my gosh, look at this cool thing we found. We can program it like for next, like we can play it right now and we can perform it and we can get to know these composers and we can like actually discover again. Like you were saying, Charles, it kind of feels things are a little bit more fresh and new in this context than when everything is told to you, even if the music is great, even if the program is interesting, um, just getting to pick what you're doing and and really feeling connected on that level to it, I think is is a new kind of joy that we found, again, during a time when we finally had time to actually do a bigger project like this, when in a normal year, I, it would always be that like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll do that eventually, we'll eventually we'll get to do that. And now that our little you know, machine is running and we can keep finding the new stuff and keep putting that out there. So. Yeah. And finding joy at a time when there was so little joy is pretty great. And um, the other thing about having um, just two of us and just two of us able to program things is that we can put like in this, in this upcoming um, concert, we're playing one movement from something because it's, it fit and it it said what we wanted to say, and then we're going to play an entire work after that. And so it's um, we we can put we can put things together in ways that we we have so much more flexibility to do um, to show more or more of what we are hoping to show. I was also going to say that just again with just two of us and with the violin duo being such a unique, um, I mean unique but also ubiquitous. I mean clearly there's a lot written for it, but with just two of us on this program too, we are switching, we switch back and forth first and second violin. And for the pieces where it's really even, it doesn't kind of whoever's like, ooh, this really speaks to me. I want to play first on this. That's great. But then for something like the St. George, where the parts are actually really uneven, we're actually switching halfway through. So Lucia will play first on the first movement and I'll take first on the second movement because we can, because it's flexible in that way. And, and, we both um, as equal partners in this get to kind of pick and choose. It's just so flexible and and that makes it fun and exciting, I think. So that one person isn't always like, I am playing a concerto for 45 minutes and the other person is just playing eighth notes. <laughs> I love that that you guys are programming like that. I mean, and that's that's kind of what is old is new again, because if you look at old concert programs, especially like the turn of the 20th century, kind of the ear of the traveling virtuosos and they would just put like oh here's a movement from a piece by Gluck and here's a movement from such and such sonata and then I'm going to play a movement of Bach and it was just kind of you know a potpourri of of kind of delightful repertoire and nothing you know you didn't have to go okay and after intermission we're going to do the Kreutzer sonata and it's like half an hour 40 minutes long which by the way I think we should um all refer to as the bridge tower sonata wait the bridge tower sonata because that it was written for the black violinist bridge tower oh, I didn't know and that. he he and beethoven apparently got drunk and got into a fight over a woman and he took away the dedication oh, and gave it to I kreutzer because he wanted to get into paris where he hadn't his music hadn't been played and kreutzer was at the was the head violin teacher at the paris conservatory and i just was reading a book about this so it's it's on the tip of my tongue and yeah and he would and he was this violinist is great and he inspired me to write this piece and you know and it's like a groundbreaking piece in the repertoire and then you know they got into a spat and then it went to 
to Kreutzer, who hated Beethoven's music and never played the piece. So I think we need to bring, we need to change the name of that sonata now and just send it back. Yeah, I think, I think it's a good idea. Bridge Tower Sonata, who's another composer that a friend of mine, uh, Nicole Cherry, is editing all of his music and is gradually getting it published. Um, there's a number of string quartets and sonatas and other stuff. So hopefully that'll be coming out in the next year or so. So Maybe he wrote violin duos as a violinist. You no, know, I would bet that he did. It yeah. seems that they all kind of did. I, it, I mean, it's not on this program, but we did play the um, Izai, or the, we played the first movement of the Izai Sonata for Two Violins. Um, so it seems like these violinists in a lot of ways just wanted to exercise those idea demons i guess <laughs> of like i want to play and i want to play violin music with another violinist or i want to just show off if you're um saint george or i mean for um some of them like we're going to play Deberio, um uh well at, um Bartok, uh where it's you're writing for um future violinists you're writing for students and people that you can play with in your lessons and that is a whole other sort of genre of it's actually it's really interesting how many how many composers ended up doing this period you wrote a big set of violin duos but i'm so glad joachim didn't i look i'm also glad joachim didn't i don't want those <laughs> oh, I do. no thank you i remember one of my first seasons in the oregon symphony um our then concertmaster Michael Foxman played the Beethoven concerto and he did the Joachim cadenza, which is insane. I've never heard anybody do it since, but it's first of all, totally like inappropriate in terms of its relationship, you know, in terms of character and style to the Beethoven concerto. <laughs> but then just, you know, everything in the kitchen sink gets thrown at, at the soloist and it was just like wow this is insane why does it why why haven't i heard this before and then why i realized <laughs> why <laughs> and that is why <laughs> but yeah um yeah there's there's always those what ifs i wish somebody had written a blank or that blank had written a yeah. piece for for two violins it's, so you guys have kind of answered my my next question question which is what's kind of on, on deck in the future for you guys, but you clearly have years worth of repertoire <laughs> that you can work your way through. Yeah. But there's... Are, you, are, are there any interesting projects that you're thinking of for after September that are especially exciting? Well, we have, we have um, three that we're hoping to put on, but we don't know for sure yet if we can. And we're, really really hoping that they come through because they are amazing <laughs> so we'll, we'll you'll have you'll have to yeah. yeah have us back when we have those on the books okay. officially and then we can share details <laughs> all right that's fair um but i'm tantalized already so okay so i have a couple of kind of somewhat nonsensical questions to wrap up with so i'm going to start with lucia so lucia you are famous for your synopses of ballets and operas based on what you can see from your chair in the pit. Now, what I'm, these have literally led to me sometimes sitting and crying with <laughs> laughter, reading them. I mean, just, so 
I'm wondering, have you ever thought of doing like an audio book or or podcast of these of these things? I think it would be hilarious. That first is of all. so sweet. and amazing. That is so sweet, but nobody needs to hear my voice. That is the last thing that I would do. But um, no, those those are a hundred percent written for the people like in the pit. Um, but my favorite thing that anybody ever said, it was Kelly, I think, who um, started reading it during the opera because she couldn't see it. And she just had, all, <laughs> she just disappeared for part of it. And that, <laughs> that is the reason that I wrote those. <laughs> that made everything worth it for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I'm sad, but I understand. <laughs> and okay, so Hannah, you on your Instagram account, you post videos of yourself practicing in your very neat closet, I should say. <laughs> Props for that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but I'm wondering now, I'm I'm seeing like a tie-in that you could do where you could do practice sessions or little mini concerts in celebrity closets around the world. I you know? mean, I love that idea. Um, I like, what was that, Lucia? Except acoustically. Yes, yeah. It is a little, it's quite dry, quite dry in here. Um, so sometimes that's a nice come to Jesus moment in the practice <laughs> session. <laughs> like, ooh, that's, whew. Um, yeah, that's a great idea. If any celebrities out there want to sponsor me, I will come practice in your closet and maybe steal a pair of your shoes. We'll see. <laughs> right. Sounds like oh Balenciaga, just somehow. Yeah, if you've got, especially if you've got Valentinos or Louboutins, I will, I will be there. <laughs> now, here's an interesting, I have a, I have a, a collab tie-in for you guys. So I just read that Beyonce is going to be the first Black woman to be a featured uh um, advertising spokesperson for Tiffany. And I was noticing on your your website that you have on your background a very big and beautiful black drop that looks as almost as though as it could be the Tiffany blue. So I'm thinking maybe a violin duo concert in Beyonce's closet. Yes, and can... I would like to wear a lot of Tiffany's jewelry. Um, we can make that. Let's make that happen, Lucia. I love the idea that that's what Beyonce needs. <laughs> what Beyonce needs is us in her closet. <laughs> There's nothing else. <laughs> Just us. I don't know. I think if Kanye can work with Caroline Shaw, that you could kind of, you could be the violin duo that follows Beyonce around on tour and I will do you know, provides Beyonce her with wants. inspiration. <laughs> yes, if Beyonce, if Beyonce calls, <laughs> we will be there. <laughs> All right, I'm totally keywording this. Excellent. It's going to get to her people somehow. But at the same time, like two weeks. Ugh. And so great to talk to you both. I'm really excited to hear this concert coming up on the 17th of September. And you're both a delight. It's a pleasure to share the stage with you from like afar when that does happen. And it's so nice to talk to you. And um, yeah, when things start to happen again and more, more exciting fifth mirror projects start, let's, let's have you back and we'll talk Perfect. again. Oh Thanks Charles. Awesome to see you finally. <laughs> After I know it's been only like yeah. two years or whatever. 
The premiere performance of Fifth Mirror is a virtual debut produced by Great Arts Period, which is free to view and will be archived to watch at your convenience on their YouTube channel. Find out the links and other information about today's guests at classicalcurrents.com forward slash show notes. As always, our fantastic episode music is composed and performed by Oregon's own artistic treasure, Kenji Bunch. Explore his music at kenjibunch.net. See you next time.